Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Helping them to discover that destiny. And again, I believe that everything that you need is right here in this house. Now there are some sometimes when you're growing a church, you have to get a little help from a particular specialty. Ooh, there we go. But um, <clears throat> I believe everything you need to do uh, to accomplish God's will sitting right here in this this little room. There's a lot of potential. Uh, before we get into the message, uh, how many of you know what today is? Groundhog Day? Oh, come on. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, Super Bowl Sunday. All right. Now, <clears throat> Super Bowl Sunday. All right. Now, how many of you are actually sports fans, or some of you I don't even know who's playing? So, or if you're a sports fan and you actually know who's playing, let's raise your hand. Okay. Okay, we've got a good, good size there. Now, how many of you are for the New England Patriots? All right, how many of you are for the Denver Broncos? Woohoo! By the way, they're not playing. <laughs> I'm from Colorado. All right. So, Seattle Seahawks. Now, today what I'm going to... Okay, we've got to... Come on, Seattle Seahawks. Okay, got a few hands. Well, I want to do this. I want you to choose a team today, all right? Choose if you're if you don't have if you're not a football fan, just choose one. Okay, if you're from the East Coast, say hey, I'll choose uh, New England. If you're from the West Coast, say Seattle Seahawks, all right? Because somebody's going to ask you who you pull for, all right? Or you can just say I pull for the underdog and hopefully they win, all right? But want to just challenge you next week when you come together, just to give a shout out for who your team was and if they won or not, all right? It has nothing to do with sermon, but it's just fun to talk about, right? Uh, yesterday, <clears throat> Jerry and I met with a lot of the leaders here at uh, uh, your church, Cornerstone Community Church. What a great name, all right? CCC. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And basically what we came in to do is yesterday is we met with your uh, your pastor, some of your elders, some of your key leaders here at the church, and we just simply asked the question, what are you doing and how are you doing it? And are you doing it well? And just one of our goals is to help spur on faith to challenge them to take this church to the next level of what God's called them to do. So in preparing the message that I have for you, um, I will, I'm preparing a message. How many of you have read or even heard of the book Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins. Great book. If you've not read it, if you're especially, you should read it. It's just one of those world classic things. And it says one of the things that they did is they did a study of the top most successful companies as well as some of the top most successful leaders. And why were they there? And he began to notice that there were a lot of really good companies, but then there were some companies that were just great. And so in this book, one of the things that he begins to highlight, he says that sometimes the enemy of just being a good company is the enemy of great. And so you have to, he started studying what was it that made certain companies great. Well, the same thing with churches, is there are churches <clears throat> that, uh, again, Jerry kind of brought up the story of we did the 50, 70, 90 thing, for 10 years. 
I had worked at UPS and going through Bible college 13 years. I'll, I'll get to that. So I don't speak to, as somebody who hasn't been. Guys, you have a great, wow, this is great. When, when I was at the dropping down, the, we had the yo-yo thing. We'd go up and we'd go down, and I'd, I was working full-time basically. It was, they said part-time, <laughs> uh, full-time at UPS and full-time at the church and four children, and we were, we were 10 years into the church plant uh, having worked two jobs by that time, two, 13 years. How many of you know this puppy was getting worn out? And God began to just really hone in on me and said, Randy, I didn't call you just to start a church. I called you to take the community. And guys, we had an awesome church. We had some awesome worship. We had some powerful services, just unbelievable. But what had happened, we, had, we were doing what we thought was New Testament church, small groups, all the things that I'd studied, all the things that I'd learned. And God just began to say, Randy, you aren't doing it. You guys are having a great group of people that are impacting them, but you're very little impacting the community. And so God kind of began to take me on a change, and the change had to start with me, and I had to switch from just being the pastor to being the leader and setting a course and a direction, following the Holy Spirit, and become a student of how to take churches from being good churches to being great churches. So fortunately, during that journey, we had to turn the ship. <clears throat> and one of my passions nowadays is helping churches that are really good, great, good churches become great churches. And that's my passion, helping leaders turn from really good leaders. And how do you become a great leader? And again, that is <clears throat> what our goal here over the next year. We'll be meeting, hopefully, with uh, the the church here and the staff and the, 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 the leaders that are here. And so what happened with our journey is we started, after we began to make some essential necessary changes, and again, that number one change started with me, uh, starting to choose that we're going to do something and get outside these walls and for us to begin to look at what God had called us to do and uh, so today we're running close to anywhere between 14 to 1,500 people, multi-sites, planting churches, training leaders. Uh, last year we probably saw close to 500 decisions for Christ. All right. So in a 15-year period, 20, 10 years in, we, we may, and, and what happens is, when we started aligning ourselves, again, I thought you, would, you could have never asked me, was I in alignment with God's will? I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do in the 10-year run. I cried out to God. I prayed. I did everything. Somehow I was not effective. How many of you know God wants us to be effective? Being good stewards. So today's message is a challenge for you individually, but it's also a challenge for you as a church. And I believe that this church is poised and you have a great facility. I, I look around this room. You have some re really mature, really committed, highly above average 
Christians. And I'll, I'll say that confidently. You know, again, I've already have tests and things that I do. You guys are really a, a very mature, committed body of Christ. But we need to get those guys there in here. How many of you would agree? And how many of us would love to see a bunch of people come to know Jesus Christ and make a bunch of disciples? It's not just getting people saved, but we need both. Jesus left the 99 to go get the, the one lost sheep. And the reason he can leave the 99 is because he had a good group of people here that were safe, that were well protected, they took care of themselves. But folks, we can't just take care of ourselves. We need to be able to take, reach the lost. When we were building our newest building, we had an architect and a designer, and all they did was build churches and design churches. When we were hiring, interviewing our builder, we asked him the question is, why is it that you only build churches? We said, well, I don't just build churches. I only build churches that are life-giving churches that are committed to the kingdom. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, let me give you an example. He says, I went to a particular denominational church, and they asked me to build a worship center like this for 172 people. He says, well, I, that's just a really unusual number. I, I need a worship center for 172 people. And the guy says, why are you building it for 172 people? Just because we have 172 people. What did that tell you right there? If they were building for what they had at the present with no thought of reaching those that are outside the walls or ever growing. Now you guys have a facility that you can grow easily over 1,000 people without hardly changing anything. There may have to be a few little tweaks with multiple services and all the things you can do. So my goal would be this, is for us to begin to have a, a faith expectancy for God to do some awesome things and for us to start seeing our community brought into this church for people to be raised up and that we would begin to be a church that significantly impacts this city and this community for God's kingdom. Would we all agree? That's the passion. That's, I know that's Willie and Minerva's passion. That's the passion of the, the elders and the leaders here. So, guys, let's just buckle up our seat belt and hang on for the ride. Amen? Amen. You would turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. Now, <clears throat> since it's Super Bowl Sunday, there's going to be lots of goodies and food and wings and chips and all that. Now, I'm going to a little saying, you know, one lay. Have you ever seen the Lay's potato chip commercial? You can only eat what? Eat one, right? But once you eat one, you've got to do what? You have to eat another one. So, one chip is good. Two's better, right? One chip is good. Two chips are good. All the Lay's potato chip people, yes. All right. One dollar is good. Two dollars is what? Okay. One activity is good. Two is what? Uh-oh. All right. One kid is good. <laughs> what happened? Two. <laughs> Two is better. Okay, you guys ready? One wife is good. 
<laughs> two, two is better. No, it's not. Okay. One, one, uh, one, one time there was a seminary professor at Bible college, and one of his students asked, he says, why did Solomon have so many wives? And uh, making a joke of it, his response was, well, he was hoping to come home and find someone who was in a good mood. Okay, woo, we just stepped on some stepping toes. Woo! Now, guys, I'm trying to engage the crowd here. So, <laughs> How many of you know that's not true, ladies? I apologize. <laughs> All right, how many of you know one wife is good? You want to have lots of problems, have multiple wives, and that's not going to work. History has proven that to be true. All right? Now, everything in life, God says that everything that is necessary for life and godliness is in this book. God's the author and the designer of marriage. And everything that was in marriage was at the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve, he only created Adam and Eve. He didn't create Adam and several Eves and Stephanie's, and he didn't create Adam and Steve. Okay, we're stepping on some sticky toes here, all right? So what God did, there was an original design for man and masculinity. There was original design for women and femininity. But there was also a design for God's intention, and he created the perfect relationship that would be fulfilling in life. But it would take living that life according to God's design. See, so they had everything that was necessary for food, for life, for godliness, for happiness in God's design. What happened is when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, he put a little bug in Adam's ear and in Eve's ear and said, there's something else out there that's better And you're really, he defined, you're being sold something that isn't what it should be. And he created this discontent so that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became, first of all, aware of their own sin. And for the first time, they truly, rather than being able to enjoy their relationship with God, their relationship with their spouse, There was a sin and there was shame and there was a discontent that said, I need more. That started to be a dominant part of our life. Because most sin is motivated out of this thing that says, I'm not really happy unless I have what somebody else has. Rather than learning how to take what God's given us as an individual, as a couple, and learning how to build God's design, and live that. So those people that are the happiest in life are the ones who begin to learn to accept God's design for them, God's design for masculinity, femininity, God's design for how to to do relationship, God's design how to have a good, healthy relationship with God. All those things are right there in the beginning. But what happens is, there's this, I need something else to make me happy. So, you know, 
A little candy on Halloween is good. You guys remember the day when, when you were a kid? You went trick-or-treating and you had Halloween? But how many of you ever remember eating too much Halloween? Do you remember the day when you ate and you ate and you ate of that candy? What happens is your body is not designed to handle that candy. And there's a, it, it says, I need to get rid of this stuff because it's not jiving with my system. And there was a projectile <laughs> happening. Are we, are we there? Okay. So how many of you know a little candy is okay? But a lot of candy is not good. A little potato chip is good, but not a lot of potato chips. After two bags, <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday, it doesn't matter what team wins, you're losing. <laughs> right? So we're going to memorize the scripture. Everybody turn to Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better is one hand full with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. So everybody, we're going to say this three times. I want you to memorize the scripture. Some of you, uh, this may be your first one. All right, let's repeat it. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. One more time. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, it is better to have less of what does matter than to have more of what does not matter. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and to have more of what does. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Again, Let's go back to this. If you have two handfuls, let's, let's just put it in our, today's world. There's a culture that is driven by advertisement. And again, if you look at most advertisements, is if you don't drink this brand of beer, you're not happy. Because in every commercial, the, the guy drinking that brand of beer has the best-looking guy or the best-looking girl and they're happy. But the guys that aren't, so almost all advertisement on anything is you need this brand of shoes. How many of your parents, Mom, I need to have this pair of shoes because everybody, how many of you know everybody is not true, has these shoes? So, it's like this. If you, if you have so much time, so much resources, and you fill your life with that resources, it says one handful is full of tranquility. Two handfuls is full of turmoil. And even when it's full, there's always, I need more, and the chasing of the wind. So when there's one handful, when there's one handful in life, let's say if you have one handful of here, and you have what we call margin, or freedom, then you're able to, let's, let's take life. So if you're happy here, then there's one handful to say, hey, how are you doing? You're, you, you have margin because you have freedom. You're not, your life is not so full of everything that you can be a friend. When someone's discouraged, if your hand, both hands are full, 
and you're consumed in everything in your life, your time, your everything, when someone's in need, someone's discouraged, you don't have time for that friend, and you go to try and encourage them, and, and, and you can't. Or let's take this. Someone's in need. Someone's in financial need. If your whole life is, you, you have another house, another, another car, and one hand is full, it's tranquility. But when you have two hands full and you're always trying to keep up with the next person or the, what everybody else has or the newest iPhone or the newest tech gadget and you spend all the money, when there's a need, there's, there's nothing to give away. See, but if we learn how to live on a budget and we don't spend everything that we take in, then what happens is, you know, just a given rule. Save 10%, honor God with 10%, and live on the rest. If you'll do that in life, not only now, but in the future, you're going to have one hand full, everything that you need, you've learned how to live within a boundary, then you're going to have time to give to God, and you're also going to have time when there's others in need, or your future has needs, or a crisis comes up, it's not devastating because you've been a good steward. One handful brings tranquility. Two handfuls bring turmoil. But it's this, and then it, it puts in law a motion of never being happy with what you've got. So when it comes to giving or helping, if your life is so full and you don't have time and there's somebody that, that just needs some help. If your life is so dominated, every minute that you have is full, and you're never happy because you need something else, because you're, when your hand, two hands are full, you're, you're not happy. Because there's no room for relaxation. There's no room for rest. How many of you know that God created the earth in six days, and He did what? He created one day for rest, because he realized you don't have to work seven days. Actually, it's counterproductive, and it destroys family, and you have to build margin. Even God, sovereign God, who's all-powerful, knew the importance of having the availability of one hand that can reach out and help, reach out and encourage, reach out and provide. Sometimes it's even when you have a child... If you're so busy with everything and your agenda is so full, sometimes that hand is there for encouragement, but sometimes that hand is there for a loving, guiding direction. But if your life is so full and you don't have the time to deal with the issues that you're facing in life, so let me drop back with that scripture. It says, Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with turmoil and chasing after the wind. You can't be who God created you to be if your life is too full. Margin. Margin is the amount available beyond what is actually needed. It's the extra, it's the reserve, it's the rest. Margin is the space between our current performance and our limits, and it's running, it's running but it's not as fast as you can. Margin means... You're not expending all your energies. It's not running to the end of the day. 
Marching is providing time to rest, relax, refresh, restore, build up, have reserve, so that when there is a need, you have, you have the capacity to give, and even when you give, it's not destroying you, and it's not putting you under such a burden, because if there is a crisis, how many of you know your car is going to have a problem? God, I had a, I don't know if Ben Goodman spoken here, he's a great friend of mine, one time, you know, his car was, first of all, it had un- amount, uh, beyond imagination miles on it. And the whole front end went out on it. And he says, Randy, he says, what do you think God's trying to tell me? I says, Ben, I think he's telling you to stop driving cars to the brink of destruction and then blaming God that it fell apart. Get a car that's dependable, put money into it, plan for reserve, and so when a crisis happens, you can fix it. Things wear out. But if you're living on a two-handed philosophy of life, things are going to happen. And when they do happen, it's not a problem. Because you're prepared. You've been a good steward. Would we all agree that this is a good concept? In life, there are people that are really good people. There are really good Christians. But God doesn't want you to just be good. He wants you to be great. I had a scripture yesterday that God kind of gave me. He says, Paul said, I've finished all that God's called me to do. See? There's a lot of things that God's called you as an individual to do and God has called this church to do. But if your hands are so full and your time is so full, then the things that God wants you to do, you don't have the capacity, the time, the resources because it's good not great. And if there's a place of what God's wanting to do in your life is most many marriages are stressed out because of number one, communication. Number two, finances. Because what they're doing is they're spending more than they should on things that they didn't need. Let me ask you in this room, how many of you have spent money on things you didn't need that you wanted and it only lasted for happiness as soon as you drive off the parking lot or a month afterwards for that new phone that you had to have or those tennis shoes that, oh my gosh, you could buy a house for some of the cost of some of these shoes. How many, how many of you have done this? And if you don't raise your hand, you're probably lying. All right? <clears throat> Jesus said this. He says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. You're not defined who you are by what you own or what you have. Luke 12, 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich for God. In other words, you keep getting for yourself You keep adding more and more to what you have. But the person who does not give to the Lord, all that he did in his life becomes wasted. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and have more of what does. I want to ask you the question. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. So let me ask you the question. What does matter? 
what's really important? What's important in your life? Now, there's usually, I always tell people, someday all of us are going to pass from this life and going to enter into the next extended part of life. And we're going to have to stand before God. And there's going to be two questions that God's going to ask of you. He's not going to ask you how much money you had in your bank account. He's not asking that question. He's going to ask you these two questions. First of all, the question that he's going to ask you, number one, is what did you do with my son? And let me tell you the right answer. God, I realized I was a sinner and I was not worthy of God's love. But I realized what I did with your son is you loved me, so you sent your son to die for me. And I realized I wasn't good enough, but that's why he went to the cross. And so what I did is I chose to trust my life and put my life in God's hand and receive God's forgiveness. I opened my hand, I opened my heart to God's love, his forgiveness, and received eternal life. That's the right answer. The second question God's going to ask you, he says, I gave you time, talent, resources. I gave you a destiny. What did you do with what I gave you? How many of you want to hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant? One handful brings tranquility. Two handfuls leads to turmoil. And it's not just turmoil. It's a chasing after that I need something more in my life because I'm not happy. And the reason I'm not happy is my two hands are so full that I don't have time for the things that are most important. So if you're going to do what God's called you to do, then there has to be margin. Everybody say margin. There has to be margin. There has to be reserve. There has to be rest. So that you can fulfill and have the availability to do what God's called you to do. There are many a person who God has called to do things for his kingdom, but because they're so financially strapped, because they have not built their life around margin, when God asks them to do something, they can't do it. When God asks them to give, they're not happy with what they have. They've not learned how to live within their means. They've not learned how to put God first in their finances by honoring God. There's no reserve. They want to. They want to believe God for it. But what they have has them. So what does matter? Let me tell you some things that matter. What matters is family. Would we all agree here? But how many times, you know, men, guys, we're conquer motivated. We just, our, our significance is wrapped in, in our achievements. I don't care what it is. And so once we, we conquer the good-looking babe that God has called us to be life partners with, we go on to the next thing. And how many marriages have ended in devastation because one handful, rather than living with tranquility and peace, we wanted more, so we ended up giving our lives to our careers to the degree 
that it begin consuming and our life to have what we want and more of what begin to grab a hold of us. And because everybody else drove that kind of car and everybody else kind of lived in that kind of house and everybody else did those kind of things, this hand began to be full and the thing that was most precious to us, our wife, our family, our children's, we had no time for them. And over time, when you start out this close, it doesn't take much, just a little varying degree. And like Adam and Eve, they had to cover themselves. They were ashamed. But the cool thing about Jesus is God can start you all fresh again and rebuild. Every marriage counseling that I've had, and I've, I have a love for helping people. Most couples, when they're calling it quits, is I, I don't know if I love my spouse. In fact, I'm not sure I ever did. How I many of you know that's just a lie from the pit of hell? First of all, love is not just a, a feeling. It's a decision and it's a commitment. And what you've had is you've had your hands so full of other things that you've neglected the thing that's most important, your relationship with your spouse. And how do you build that relationship with your spouse? You have to have, and your children. Guys, I live in a, in a community where there's lots of rest homes. We have only 48 golf courses in my community. Right? And have lots of rest homes. And some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my entire life live in those rest homes that are built for the ex- exorbitant rich who retire and they've lived for their career. At the end of their life, they're some of the most lonely people because they made career and making money the priority. And they're sitting in a rest home waiting to die with no one to come visit them, no one to come take care of them. Because this hand and this hand were full and the things that were most important were neglected. So what are the things that are important? One, I would say family. I'd say your relationship with God. Would we all agree here? We're in church. Spending time daily on a consistent basis. I always challenge our church to read five out of seven days. Give Give, give a day when you come to church and give a day when, when if you miss a day, God still loves you. How many of you know God loves you even if you don't read your Bible? One day. Any day. God loves you no matter what. But if you don't develop that habit and you don't make your relationship with God a priority, you're going to fill this hand with stuff. And you're going to fill your schedule with fun and activities and all these other kind of things. But one activity that I will tell you, you have to maintain. You cannot neglect or it will affect and you'll find yourself chasing after the wind full of turmoil. One handful brings tranquility. Two handfuls bring turmoil and the chasing after the wind. It, it, it is a law. If you fill this handful You're never going to be happy, and it's always going to lead you trying to be happy, and you're going to fill it with the wrong things. So let's drop back and put our relationship with God first. Fill it with God. Learn to live within God's design for your life, your call, your destiny. Have margin in your life. Learn how to have margin within your finances. And I promise you, making a career decision sometimes, hey, you're really great. Let's promote you to the next level. That might not be the best thing if you want to have that handful with tranquility.
Because sometimes it's, it's good to get promoted. But sometimes you're going to have to make a decision is, is filling my hand full with the second handful going to take more that I'm willing to give up. At the end of your life, that was not a good choice. Sometimes we think that's a good choice. Now, as a church, many churches really do a lot of really great things. But churches, as you grow the church, what happens is there's a thousand... How many of you know God has a plan for your life? How many of you know that Satan has a plan for your life? His plan is to kill. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. John 10.10, life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. God says, in this hand, I want to prosper and bless you. Satan has a plan for your life. It's to come to kill, steal, and destroy. And how he's going to do that is going to try to fill your other hand so full of the world that there's no time for God and it's never going to make you happy so you're going to end up chasing something else. Another relationship, another career promotion, another whatever. Guys, and I'm not telling you, it's, this is where you want to live. And how many of you know you can really succeed really well? God doesn't want us to work harder. And some of us, we need to learn how to work hard, especially in this culture. God doesn't want us working harder. He wants us working smarter and using what we have and being good stewards of it. And he'll bless this with peace and tranquility. But a lot of times we end up trying to do this and then it leads to the chasing of the wind. You know, I remember when you have your young family. I I saw some young, a family with multiple children. Now our goal is as a young family, is to invest and raise our children to serve God, right? Some of those people that are in those rest homes, they didn't spend time with their family. They farmed their family out to other people, to the school system, to all those things. It's not wrong to have your kids in school, but I'm, I'm just saying they gave child-rearing over to somebody else because this handful was too full and they didn't have time for their own family, for their own marriage, what happens is, it's like this, it's, it's, it's real easy. In our culture, especially in my community, it's a child-centric community. We're a, we're a young church, we have lots of young families. And if you're really not careful, you can find yourself, you know, how many mothers would say their middle name is the word T-A-X-I? What's that word spell? Taxi. How many of you mothers would say, my name, my middle name is Taxi? Let me tell you what a child-centric culture says. My kids need to be in, they're five years old, they're seven years old, they're ten years old. My kids need to be in soccer. My kids need to be in ballet. My kids need to be in football. They need to be in basketball. They need to be in extra, every other extracurricular activity under the sun. And guess what that's doing? Now, let me tell you something, parents. Some of you, now, Willie, didn't you used to be a coach? Now, he might have had a child that became, what kind of football, baseball? All of them. Willie, how many of the people you coached are on the NFL today? Do you know of any in the basketball, baseball, any of those that are made it to the major leagues? Okay. He's a coach. How many of you parents have so thinking, my kid 
is going to be the next Tiger Woods golf. The next Michael Jordan. The next. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll wear our kids out, keeping them so busy, taking them to all these activities. And, you know, they used to kind of honor keeping Sunday. Nowadays, these soccer, baseball, football, hockey, tennis, Sunday is just another good day for them. And so what happens is one handful with tranquility, two hands full with turmoil and chasing after the wind. If you have a coach who didn't have anybody make it to the major leagues, and I could probably ask a hundred coaches, you're going to have one. You're going to have a, a rare exception, extreme talent, but most of us think that's our kid. Why don't we ask them to say, let's have one thing. You get to do one thing, but we're going to make family a priority. And we're going to come to church, and if you don't want to come to church, I'll just drag you there. It is okay. But we want our kids, some of those values that you gain in church just aren't just God. That's a big value. But it's life and respect and integrity and character and all those things of serving and giving and sharing. One handful brings tranquility. Two handful brings turmoil and the chasing of the wind. As churches grow, we have to plan margin. How many of you know you can't do everything? This church can't do everything. So one of the things I find when I step into a church, I find people that it's 80-20. I find some people just doing everything. Guys, there's a lot of people here. I need some of the two-handed full people here dropping back to one handful and having some of the people that have margin in their life getting involved in what's most important. Because when God, when you stand before God, He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with what I gave you? Your time, talent, and resources. And the wrong answer is, God, I made lots of money. I was really busy. I wasted the call and the destiny of advancing your kingdom for things that were unimportant that I thought would make me happy. As churches grow, you have to become more focused, more narrow. The smaller you are, you have more latitude. It's just a simple thing. Our church, we have one men's event. But our men's event always leads us to a major, hey, sign up for a small group. We can't have 25 men's events. Our women's event, one women's event per year, sign up for small groups. Because how the early church grew was they met together in the large group gatherings. They met together from house to house where you knew somebody, where you served, where you gave, where you grew in your gifts. See, all those things. Learning how to give, learning how to serve, that's a part of the normal Christian life. But you can't do all of it. You can only do some of it. And everything you need to advance God's kingdom is right here in this house. Everything you need to succeed in your marriage are right here 
in God's word and coming together and building life according to God's design. Are we all, would we all kind of agree with this? Margin. So what does one hand living? So let's just, just I'm going to try and wrap it up really quick. So what does it start with? First of all, if your life is consumed with two-hand living, it starts with letting go of what's not important. Now I'm telling you, that's a heart, that's bigger than you think. It's making some decisions about what, is, what are priorities in life. And, it's, and there's a big thing that says, I've got to change. I want to ask you right now in this room, how many of you want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Well, some of us right now are going to have to make a decision to make some changes in our life. And folks, let me tell you, change is a good thing. But change sometimes like surgery, if you have cancer that's killing you, you can either live with it, Or you can go and say, wow, I better do something or I'm not going to be around to enjoy my family, enjoy my kids. Hebrews 12.1 says this. First of all, it says, let go of what doesn't matter. You have to decide that. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. And let us run the perse- with perseverance the race that God has set out for us. So there's two things it says. Let us throw off everything that hinders. You know what that is? That's two-handed living and the chasing after the wind. God has a plan for you. Satan has a plan. Satan knows how to set you up for failure every time. And he's going to do it. You're a vulnerable candidate for affairs, for poor financial decisions, because when things aren't working well, how many of you have ever eaten comfort food when you were discouraged? People make bad choices of relationships when they're discouraged, their life isn't working because their life's too full, and they click on the Internet, look at something they shouldn't have done, or they take longer time talking to some secretary or some other men at a grocery store or whatever it is because they're chasing after the wind. There's discontent. They're not learned how to be happy with what God's given them. So learn how to say no. Everybody say the word no. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Define boundaries. What is a boundary? A boundary says this. It has a, it's like a house. It has an open door. That door is there. It says for welcome guests, the things that are good for life and, and the fulfillment of life, that door is open. But that door says no to two-handed living and to the chasing after the wind and the things that are going to destroy this. It says no, no, no. Our culture is teaching us to say yes, yes. My kids need more. I need more. That discontent. So one, let me tell you some things. Number one, what you need to let go of what doesn't matter. First of all, your schedule, your routine, your, routine, your activities. How many of you here right now say, I need to cut back right now? Something. Okay? You know what busy stands for? A little acronym for busy? It's a little cheesy, but it's all right. Being under Satan's yoke. Busy. If you're too busy, you're under Satan's yoke. 
Number one, change your schedule. Number two, throw out. I have four children. My kids, I have a two-car garage under my house. My kids have moved out. They keep coming back and forth, so I need to somehow figure that out. But I had a whole garage, a big garage. And it was full of stuff from my kids, from my children. And so I said, guys, we, we need to have margin because a, a garage is designed by God for a car. <laughs> so we had a yard sale. I just failed to invite the kids or I told them we're going to have it. And guess what, man? We had a garage sale that day. Right? Now, I ask most of them. Some of them, Dad, you sold my... You're right. It's ten years before you ever have a place for that. The things that are really good little childhood memories and some of the stuff that have become mine disappeared. Here's your money. How many of you know you need to have a physical yard sale because you got so much stuff you can't take care of it. How many of you know the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to take care of? Some of us just need to have a physical yard sale. And some of us need to have an emotional yard sale because we're still holding on to some things of the past that need to go. We live here when God's called us to live here. True? Physical, spiritual, emotional Yard sale. Get back to a life of tranquility and peace. And then we need to turn off. I venture to say this one might be actually a bigger one than you think. You know who the number one purchaser nationwide of uh, of video games is? What what age would you say that person is? Thirty-five year old males playing video games. Spend more money on video games than any other age group of people. It's not a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old. That's scary. One handful says here, I'm spending time with my wife and family and children. When you're spending the bulk of your time playing video video games, cell phone. Now I'm going to be stepping on some toes here real quick here. Is that Okay. How many of us spend so much time on our computer, we spent more time with our computer than we did with our kids? You have more friends. I have 2,000 friends on Facebook. I know all about them. But the little one playing video games in the other room doesn't know his dad, doesn't know his mom but I know everybody on Facebook. How many of you know Facebook is just a lie from the pit of hell? I'm pretty. I'm, I'm really crossing some ground here. Woohoo, Pastor. You're, guys, if you want friends, go make yourself friendly. Build true relationships that's built out of commitment. Get involved in a small group God's design. You can only know, I don't care what size of church, you can only know 75 people. You may know about them, you may know their face, but you typically can only handle about 75, if you're really talented, maybe 150. But as a given rule, the average person can only have and maintain about 75 key relationships in life. Oh, we have to go to two services. I won't see all my friends. You're right! It's not about you in the first place, it's about extending God's kingdom. I'm trying to set you up for future 
success. Get involved in small groups. Give your life, give your resources to the things of God. Boy, I need to, as usual. All right. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Eat dinner with your kids. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with chasing after the wind. The other thing that really matters, Nehemiah 4.4, fight for what does. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We need to fight for our families. We need to have one-handed living that are going to make successful families. As a church, let me tell you what the church is for. The church is not here to take care of 172 people. The reason God has not taken you from this earth yet, that he hasn't come back and taken all of the saints to be in heaven with him for eternity, is because there's people here who yet don't know Christ. And what happens is Satan loves to get us as a church so busy taking care of all the things that are going on here that we lose our emphasis. Jesus left the 99 so that he could go out and reach the one that didn't know him. There's not a person in this room who doesn't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And what this church needs to do to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, there's got to be a little bit of a shift. Would you, we all agree? Is that this, as a church, needs to do well at what God's called this church to do. But if we don't start getting what God's called the church to do, is to seek and to save the lost and create a service where the lost want to come in and not just come in, but they want to stay in because you guys have got something that they don't, because you've been living one-handed living, and they say, what is it that you've got? You seem happy, even though you have difficulties, you have problems. Because when you're living one-handed living, you can live life and have problems and difficulties, and there's enough reserve and resource and relationship and walk with God that, that it doesn't devastate you. So I want to just give you a little commission. Let's do an honest assessment of where we are as an individual, as a church. And I want to give you a challenge. I want to come back in multiple months. And why I want to hear, I want to ask you the question, what did you do to get here so that we have time, focus, resources, attention to get out there so that out there gets in here? Because I'm telling you, this church has a lot to offer, and they need what you've got right now. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to turn this over to Willie, but I do want to pray a prayer of blessing. Is that all right? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would capture the heart of every person. I pray for those people that are right now, they're discouraged about their relationship with God, their relationship with their spouse, 
Lord, there's a seemingly unhappiness or discontent in their life. And Lord, I pray right now that you'd open their eyes, that they would see what may be laying right in front of them, so that they would be able to start living their life in tranquility and peace. God, open their eyes that they might see, and they would do whatever is necessary to make the changes to accomplish God's will for their life. Fill them with hope. Give them faith. Give them joy. God, you brought them here today for this reason. Bless them. And give them the strength and the courage to make those changes. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.